everybody. Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. If you are new to the show, we have an episode releasing every Monday through charismapodcastnetwork.com. You could also go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. And you could find over 160 episodes now of Awaken Podcast. If you go to my YouTube channel, you just look up Michael Lombardo or Awaken Live or Awaken Podcast. You'll find a lot of content on there. I used to do live streaming and there's over 80 episodes of just the older Facebook Live format, but great content out there for you guys to tap into. Um, I know we just got through Thanksgiving. Um, we're going into um, the Christmas season. I know a lot of people are are running around and, and they got a lot of stuff going on, family responsibilities, work things, different things taking place, you know, trying to get Christmas gifts and prepare for the holidays. And these next few episodes, we're really going to be honing in. And you guys know, if you've been listening to Awaken Podcast for any length of time, we're always talking about our relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're always talking about Christ and all he's accomplished. We're talking about intimacy with God. We're talking about practicing and abiding in the presence of God. We're talking about practical things regarding that. We're talking about different hindrances um, etc. And we're always, regardless of what biblical topic we speak of, it always centers upon Christ, who he is, what he's accomplished, who we are in Christ because of that. So we could see ourselves truly for who we are, so we could walk out our purpose in this life rightly. And so today I'm talking to um, Brian Zond, and he came on about ooh, a few months ago, maybe a little more, talking about his book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, and um, today we're talking about a new book of his, which I believe is essential. It is relevant to this time and this hour. Um, and we're going to be digging into that. Okay. I believe this is a very important book. And so Brian, he is the founder of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, um, more than 35 years now. Um, he serves as lead pastor to a congregation committed to the authentic expression of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. He's an author of many books, including uh, Water to Wine, Beauty Will Save the World, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, like I just mentioned, and now his newest book entitled When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. Thank you, Brian, for joining me today on the podcast. Hey, thank you, Michael. Hey, I've got to update your bio, I ju- or my bio, I guess. I <laughs> We just celebrated the 40th anniversary of our church, the first Sunday of November. Wow. So I have, I've been the pastor of Word of Life Church for 40 years now. That, That's incredible. That, Thank that, God. I think that's just worth noting. I just want to say <laughs> that. All right. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And so I grabbed the hold of your book that I want to dive into today. Um, if people, I know you shared a little bit of your testimony four or five months ago, how you came to faith. And so I want to dive right into the content because I feel like there's a lot to discuss here. And I've been a Christian for, you know, 14 years now, and you've been a believer for, you know, much longer than that. And I know you've seen everything. You've gone through your own personal journey, which has been which you're very honest and vulnerable about in this book, which I appreciate. But I have a lot of friends of mine. We all go through moments in our life of questioning different aspects of the faith, different theologies, different things we're experiencing. How come this aspect of my life isn't lining up with what I'm seeing in the Bible? But I know many people that they go through um, what what many know as deconstruction. Um, and you And you talk about this in your first chapter of When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. I want to start there and get into that because... When many people hear the term deconstruction, they think of pastors or leaders that maybe lost the grid, don't believe in Jesus anymore after they did some soul searching. But there's also a very positive aspect of this that many of us go through as believers. So I just want to lay a foundation on that first. 
Yeah. Um, the term deconstruction isn't necessarily my favorite mm-hmm. to describe a thoughtful rethinking of Christian theology when such a project becomes necessary. The term deconstruction actually comes from philosophy. It comes from Jacques Derrida, a 20th century French philosopher who is the founder of deconstruction theory, which has to do with deconstructing texts mm-hmm. and that a text never arrives at a final fixed meaning and that often the text is hiding certain agendas, often bids for power. And it's a literary project to try to find what lurks behind the text. That being said, it kind of is the term that is being used to describe people that are in a process of rethinking their Christian faith. I went through my own journey of that. We probably talked about that, you know, a few months ago, because that usually comes up when Mm -hmm. we're talking about sinners in the hands of a loving God, or certainly my book, Water to Wine. This is a thing for me that began about 2004. I never used the, first of all, the term deconstruction wasn't in vogue. I mean, nobody was using that to describe that kind of phenomenon. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have used it anyway, uh, because it didn't really seem to be what was going on. Uh, I, because deconstruction can sound too much like destruction. Mm-hmm. And when we reach a point where some aspect of our faith demands some critical thinking, we think, I, I just don't think the way I have thought about hell or the way I've thought about uh, how we understand uh, redemption from the cross or how we understand uh, the end of days, as it were, eschatology. Uh, I don't think I can hold on to that any longer. Well, okay, there's all kinds of options, and we can rethink that, but still hold on to Christ. And so what happened for me was I just reached the point where the Jesus that I had committed my life to and had so fascinated me and still continues to fascinate me, I just felt that that Jesus deserved a better Christianity than I knew. But one of the problems we have, especially from those that come from an evangelical uh, background in America, and especially if it's tinged with any amount of fundamentalism, is everything gets tied together so tightly mm-hmm. that to, to reject or, or jettison one aspect of a particular uh, aspect of theology that they have inherited and been taught all their lives, perhaps, if they feel like they have to reject everything. Yes. And so in one sense, um, I've seen evangelicals come to the end of their faith, no longer identify as a Christian, but for all I can tell, they're still evangelicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're no longer mm-hmm. calling themselves a Christian, but they're evangelical in the sense, in the sense that one, and, you know, I'm not here to just necessarily, but because I, I think most of us are tired of just endless bashing of evangelicals. I, I Okay, so I want to be more uh, nuanced in what I say, but I think part of the problem with evangelicalism has been that it it has a lack of it has a lack of awareness of any kind of expression or practice of Christian faith outside of that one narrow band mm-hmm. known as twentieth twenty first century American evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Well, look, Christianity 
is 2,000 years old, and it is very wide in its ecumenical width. And you could, you, it's very possible to say, you know, I'm not really tracking necessarily with, with how evangelicals understand hell or whatever. Well, you have a vast field of Christian faith mm-hmm. and theology and practice and church and history to explore. You don't have to say, if I can't find it in American evangelicalism, I'm done being a Christian. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Doesn't yep. need to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Oh no, I agree. I agree. And I remember when that world opened up to me. I became a Christian. I actually was introduced to Word of Faith and kind of more the evangelical kind yeah. of Pentecostal. Um, I had an encounter with God that changed my life. One up in Bible school, I was taught one type of theology. But as time goes by, you know, you begin to question certain things. Um, and then I remember I got introduced to some teachers that broadened my perspective. Of some things, got introduced to C. Baxter Kruger, got introduced mm-hmm. to different grace theology that was revolutionary, which was cohesive with scripture as well as my experience of who Jesus is to me. And so I remember just saying, like, you know what, God, we all have different understandings, but God's gracious with us. We don't all, you know, we know in part, we see in part, and many of us have different understandings of who he is, but we're coming into this maturity. God's refining us. He's He's wooing us. And, you know, one thing for me, and I'd love to hear you touch on this. I love in your book how you talk about your first encounter with God was mystical. And then there's this Jesus was this um, he's he's a person that you fell in love with, that you encountered and you built your theological house around that. And for me. I, I encountered Jesus. I had a every day. I have an everyday relationship with him where I talk to him. I hear him. I feel his presence. I walk with him, you know, and and so whenever I had a question, whenever something did not make sense in the word of God and I didn't understand how to view certain scriptures in the Old Testament or new or when I would pray for someone to be healed and they weren't healed, even though in the New Testament, it says we could lay hands on the sick and they will recover when certain things I struggled with personally didn't line up with my experience. I always went back to, okay, I don't get it right now, but I know you. I don't have all the answers, but you are the answer and you have me. And that's where I'll settle and I'll understand it when you want to reveal it. But here I am walking with you. Yeah, rock on, Michael. That's that's all right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my journey, I, I grew up with a kind of a nominal Christian background. Uh, but in my teen years, I was just, I was beginning to venture down some roads that would be pretty destructive. Mm-hmm. And I had an encounter with Christ. Mystical is an adequate word for that. Mm-hmm. I encountered Christ in a very dramatic way that overnight changed my life. I, I don't think every conversion or every you know, Christian needs to have that experience. I think those probably are more rare, but it was my experience. Mm-hmm. And so... Overnight, I'm transformed because of my my encounter with Christ. And I can tell you that now, however, I've lost track, 47 years later, that was when I was 15, I'm 62 now. I mean, I live my life in communication, in the presence of Christ. I mean, I really do. Uh, so that's my foundation, that it has been revealed to me that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's I can't prove that empirically, but I don't need to because it's been revealed to me. And that's my foundation. That's right. And that's what I that's what I stand on. But as we journey, 
as we continue, we all construct a theological house. What do I mean by theology? Well, I'm using a metaphor here for our theology, but play along with me. Our theological house is the palace in the mind for Christ the King. It is how we think about and how we speak about God as revealed in Christ. Now, our theological house comes to be through many ways. Some of it is our background, our tradition, what churches we attend, what books we read, what assumptions we make, what, you know, what preachers we like to listen to, however it comes about. And over time, this becomes quite an elaborate, generally, uh, theological house. It's not a one-room bungalow. It's probably a sprawling mansion with dozens and dozens of rooms. Yeah. Well, as I began, as I entered my 40s, I realized, now, I wouldn't have used this language at the very beginning. This is looking back and trying to interpret what was happening. But again, play along with me. Mm -hmm. It seemed as if I was embarrassed by my theological house. I wasn't ashamed of Christ. I I, I just, I maintained faith that Jesus was the Son of God because it was revealed to me. And I just couldn't walk away from that. But other aspects of my theological house were embarrassing. I didn't want to have company over. And so I realized that I was going to have to go embark upon a massive renovation of my theological house. Now, if you've ever tried to remodel a house while living in it, (laughs) Mm. you know that that's inconvenient. It's not fun. That it's messy. It's difficult. It's going to cost you more than you think, and it's going to take longer than you think. And that was my experience, but I had to, I, I just had to do it. And I did it rather publicly. I mean, I wasn't trying necessarily to be public with it, but when you're a, when you're a pastor of a church and your, your theology is being adjusted and tweaked and changed and bettered, you know, then um, eyes are on you. you know, then, then people are going to notice because it's going to, it's because mm-hmm. you have a public presence as a preacher, teacher, pastor. Mm -hmm. So, but here's my point. Your theological house is many, many rooms. For me, there were, there were many rooms that I would say were largely untouched. It need to be remodeled. You know, if you want to play around with the metaphor, you know, maybe I brought in a new rug, (laughs) put in a new lamp or something, you know, maybe visited it more often or something like that. Other rooms were more in need of serious renovation. And maybe I would say that one whole wing of my theological house known as eschatology, um, that's where maybe a term like deconstruction might be apropos, that that was an area that pretty much just needed to be taken down to the foundation and start over. Why? Well, I'm from the Jesus movement. I mean, that's that's my conversion. That's my experience. That's my background. And I look back with generally with fondness upon the Jesus movement. This was a kind of a youth counterculture, spiritual revival among young people. In the 1970s, a lot of people came to Jesus, mostly young people. Oh, yeah. That's my background. And it was, I I look upon it as a good thing, but as every movement is, it's more complex than just being one thing. And so the focus on Jesus was wonderful and beautiful, marvelous. But for whatever reason, I'm sure the reasons are complex, it also came along with dispensational eschatology. Mm -hmm. Late Great Planet Earth was the big book then. 
And then that leads on to other things, you know, the Left Behind series and all that. Well, that Mm -hmm. almost all of that was unsalvageable. I don't know what, you know, what our our, our viewers, our listeners are thinking. Maybe they'd still hold to that. God bless you. That's fine. For me, I I just reached the point where that was no longer tenable. And I saw it as, as completely contrary to the beauty of Christ. But here's here's my point. Doubting some aspect of theology does not have to be the end of faith. I began to doubt some things about hell, about eschatology, about how we understand the atoning work of Christ upon the cross, etc. But what happened was, is I doubted my way into a better, richer faith. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus wasn't lost. Uh, I just found a better way to believe. So doubt doesn't have to be the end of faith. Doubt can, in fact, be the doorway that leads to a better faith. And that, that's that was my story anyway. So I think it might help people to understand that your theology is not one thing, that you can rethink certain aspects of your theology and still hold on to Jesus, still believe that Christ is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. I think too many deconstructions end in an absolute and total loss of faith because they weren't able to make these subtle nuances and understand, okay, how we, what we believe about how we interpret a particular passage of Scripture does not mean I, I can doubt that or change that without letting go of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And so I think so many people, um, so many people, you know, they grow up a Baptist or a Pentecostal or, you know, whatever stream that, um, that I mean, they- I come from a charismatic word of faith. I mean, I mean, Jesus movement led into, you know, yep. charismatic and word of faith. So I, I, I know that world quite well. Quite oh, well. no, no, absolutely. But like, just say like behind the pulpit, many people are taught this is the way it is. And so if yeah. you haven't done the research, if you haven't, if you haven't taken the period of years to dive in and dig yourself, you're just kind of, you just take what you're fed, you embrace it. And then if any questions come up, it's almost like questioning the entire, the entire right. thing. And that's, and that's what people struggle with. But let's just take one aspect for a second okay. and let's just give people some some steps here because you said there's we, we you know we have a couple centuries here of you know of theologians and writings and teachings when i bumped into athanasius on the incarnation and i read mm. that it was revolutionary for me and when i began to dig into church history and and find all these you know the, the early church fathers and read from them it was like mind blowing and so let's just say take the atonement or take hell or um, whatever you want to explore, what would you say to somebody who maybe is questioning the modern day view of the atonement or hell? How how can they start digging in to maybe get some answers? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, I'm not employing hyperbole here. I don't really know of a theological issue that seems to throw people into doubt and deconstruction that hasn't been talked about. Yep. and addressed mm-hmm. for yep. almost 2,000 years. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the church fathers, these are the early Christian theologians in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries. They were not unthinking people. <laughs> yeah, And they were deeply committed to the scriptures. And they were deeply committed 
to forming people in Christian faith, and they were pastoral in their both generally their vocation, but certainly in their heart, and they were aware of all of these problems. Do we understand that God operates in eternal torture chamber? Do we think, um, you know, I mean, they've been talking about this for a long time, so I, I don't know if we want to go into any particular one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that um, the I, thinking about hell as God for the sake of people not getting the correct answer on a theological test, mm-hmm. are now going to be tortured eternally, not for a long time, but eternally, with no vision of any kind of salvation. or there, there is, It's purely punitive. It's just an endless punishment that really serves no purpose. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I promise you, very learned, intelligent Christian men and women have wrestled with this for centuries Mm -hmm. and have responded with great wisdom. And so these sources are there. You can can go to the church, Father. Some people may find that a bit daunting. Okay, there's plenty of contemporary books that deal with these sorts of things. And I, I, I always hear somebody that gets nervous, that's very committed to a kind of fundamentalist leaning, particular modern evangelical uh, interpretation of these doctrines, and they get real nervous and they say, Oh, you're just going liberal on me. Uh, reaching back to the early church and to the church fathers and to Orthodox theology is not a liberal move. Yeah. It is, in fact, conservative in the true sense of the word. So, um, for example, for example, universalism, mm-hmm. the idea that in the end, ultimately, ultimately, God will be able to redeem all. This is not a heresy. This is a minority position that has always been held by some in the church, including people like Athanasius and, I mean, and Gregory of Nyssa. I mean, Gregory of Nyssa is as much as anyone, the one who defines orthodoxy for us. And so there are other ways of approaching this and thinking about this. Um, what I, I don't call myself a universalist. I don't like the label. I think it's unhelpful because it just causes people to think, oh, okay, Hitler's in his bunker. He pulls a trigger. And now he's, you know, in his five-star mansion and, mm-hmm. and there's no accountability, no judgment. No, no I, I don't believe anything like that. Uh, and, and I don't want to put too fine a point on what I believe because I want to just have some humility here. But I do hold to a robust hope that in the end, uh, apocatastasis, that's the Greek term, the restoration of all things shall come about, shall be able to come about. As Paul ends his very dense argument through Revelation 9, or Romans 9, 10, and 11, in the end, he sums it up by saying God has bound all in disobedience that God may be merciful to all. Uh, so, if that's a if that's a troublesome area, there there are other ways of thinking about the fire of the age as a purgatorial refining fire, but not as a eternal torture chamber. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 almost afraid that people think, okay, BZ is just saying, you know, the 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 issue with hell just become a universalist. I I didn't say that. That isn't how I self-identify my position. I'm just saying that there is some sort of well, not some sort. There is a vast 
vast area in between JT Chick Track's idea of eternal judgment and being a non-believer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it isn't, oh, yeah. it isn't like you have to, you have to kind of believe in the chick track. Either you pray the magic prayer or you get tortured forever, or you have to be an atheist. <laughs> That's just <laughs> not the case. <laughs> I think in general, even the scriptures tell us that God desires that all would come to know Jesus yeah. Christ, that all would be saved and none would perish. And he sent his son so that none would perish and we'd all come to eternal life. So I think that regardless, even as believers, whatever your position on hell is, we should all have that hope and desire that every single individual would come to know Christ and that every single person, that the restoration of all things will take place and every single person will be included because that's God's desire and that's God's heart. So just regardless, whatever, whatever wherever our, our listeners land on that subject at this current time, I think that we can encourage them, hey, listen, this is the heart of God. We should desire yeah. that. We shouldn't want people to burn in hell forever. We should want everyone to come to the light. Yeah, Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of my favorite theologians, he wrote a book, Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved. And uh, you can read it if you like, but I'll give you the one sentence summary. Basically, Balthasar is saying, dare we hope that all be saved? Yes, we dare hope we dare not say. (laughs) We don't say, but we dare to hope. And, And I would push it a little further, though. If someone... If it turns out that more are redeemed by Christ than you thought, are you going to be angry about that? Mm-hmm. Are you going to wow. be disappointed? I mean, yep. that doesn't, doesn't that reflect, reflect poorly upon your own soul? I mean, mm-hmm. if it turns out, if it turns out that God is able to save all, would you, I mean, through Christ, no cheap grace, all things addressed, if God in Christ is able to redeem all of his creation, if, would that be a bad thing? (laughs) You know, if you're going to say, no, I mean, I've got to have some hell. I've got to have some people in hell so I can be happy in heaven. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds like an issue of the heart that needs to be yeah, think, highlighted by the Holy I Spirit. Think some spiritual work is is necessary. Here. <laughs> well, one thing that I I love, I, I was I dug into your book. You had a section called Hard Won Advice, and yeah. you talk to the individual who is struggling with aspects of their faith, and you share a few different encouraging things that I find very helpful because I know people right now in my life that are going through this oh, I don't know what I believe about this, and therefore they're questioning Jesus altogether. Um, one in particular just recently said, I don't even call myself a Christian anymore. And I'm, you know, I'm in his life. I'm, I'm loving on him. I'm talking with him. But, you know, you talk about not being ashamed. You talk about, you know, beware of the pendulum. You talk about different advice. And so I'd love to talk about that because I feel like people that are sure. listening to this right now need that advice. I feel like it was very practical and very on point. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just looking that up part up in the book because, believe it or not, I don't have it all memorized. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll just describe it as you enter a season of doubt. And doubt is kind of specific. You know, I mean, I'm doubting this, I'm doubting that. But what happens is, you know, I, I'm doubting things about hell or I'm doubting things about how we think about salvation. I'm doubting some of what I've inherited. But then that begins to become, I'm doubting everything. I'm doubting God. I'm doubting the whole thing. Well, I think, don't freak out about that. 
Yeah. Doubt is just part of the life of faith. I mean, if, if, it's, if doubt isn't possible, it's not faith. Faith is a venture where doubt is always going to be there. But most doubts turn out to be not very devastating if they're kept in the light of day. If we lock them away in a closet, that's where they grow into monsters. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we feel like I can't talk about my doubts, I just have to like just will myself to believe that's when I think faith can be in peril. So talk about it. Talk to friends. Maybe do some you know, research and begin to try to find. Because, I, I mean, I just promise you, I promise you there, there are dozens, dozens of excellent, excellent treatments on this subject, books, on what it is you're doubting. Seeking, you'll find. I mean, yeah. you know, go out there and try to find them, but they're out there. It isn't, you're not the first person, you're not the millionth person, you know, to have faced this doubt. So the church has been dealing with this. Um, Keep in mind, I'm just reading some of them. Keep in mind that your theological house is not Jesus. I kind of touched on that. Beware of the pendulum. Um, Yeah, you know, very often, I mean, anecdotally, but I think I'm probably accurate on this. Mm-hmm. You'll find some people who, by the way, Christian deconstruction tends to almost entirely be a phenomenon of evangelicalism or some version of conservative Protestantism. There's others, but, but that's, that's where this is mostly happening. Well, what some will find is that a move to what we might, it's not always my favorite grid to be talking about, but a move to a more progressive or a move to the left somewhat in, in Christian thinking may be helpful for them. But then if they're not careful, they'll decide, okay, every move progressively, every move to the theological left is always the correct move. Well, that's the pendulum. Yeah. And you can swing from a fundamentalist conservative to a fundamentalist progressive, and I think neither is helpful, mm-hmm. that our faith is is focused on Jesus, not a particular ism, be it conservatism or progressivism. So beware of that phenomenon. Open up to the whole body of Christ. Um, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think of the body of Christ. I'm not saying this is entirely accurate. It's, I'm not saying this is a scholarly analysis, but it's how I think about it. I think of the body of Christ as something like a seven-branch menorah consisting of Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, Anglican Communion, uh, Protestantism, Anabaptist, and then Evangelical, and then finally Pentecostal, Pentecostal Charismatic. And so that's, that's pretty wide. And I, I open up to maybe something from Orthodoxy. Maybe I'm going to find life in a or more. Maybe I'm going to find life in the Anglican world. Maybe I'm going to find life in the Anabaptist world, which so many Christians don't even know anything about the, the radical Reformation movement of the Anabaptist with their strong peace tradition, etc. Um, so, just your 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 experience within a certain genre of evangelical or charismatic or Pentecostal does not represent the whole of the body of Christ. You can leave, and I, I here I'm, I'm speaking as one who has been a member of two churches in my life, the church that I was first in 
and the church that I've pastored for 40 years. So I'm not like a big, you know, go out there and go shopping for churches guy. That being said, I understand that sometimes if people are going to stay within the faith, they need to find a new community. And that's legit. And mm-hmm. so open up, say, okay, if, if, I, if I can't stay in this narrow genre of American charismatic Christianity, then I'm done. Well, don't think that way. There are, you know, open up to the whole body of Christ. Uh, be patient. A new dawn will come. Um, you know, the, the scriptures are full of stories of people who find Jesus and then lose Jesus for a time and then find him again, but they have to rethink him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's several, there's a lot of stories like that. Um, you know, Mary Magdalene, who is the most faithful of Jesus' disciples, she encounters Christ, he delivers her from seven demons. She's his most faithful follower. She's there all the way to the end. And then she loses him in death and she thinks it's the end. And it's a crushing, devastating blow, no doubt, to what she had believed about Jesus. And then after after his burial and then after the Sabbath, she comes on the first day of the week to just engage in the final act of devotion, bring some more spices just to one time uh, honor the memory of her now lost Jesus. But she comes and she finds the tomb empty and things get strange and there's a lot of running around and people trying to understand and they don't understand. Finally, she's again in the garden alone and she's aware of someone there must be the gardener. And she said, well, maybe the gardener, maybe the gardener did something with the body of Jesus. And she said, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And the gardener says, Mary. Oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So she, she had Jesus, mm-hmm. lost Jesus. Now she's found Jesus, but now she has to really rethink Jesus. She has to go, he, he's more than even what I thought. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the same thing happens with Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, I mean, she's the mother of Jesus, for crying out loud. She's giving birth to Jesus, and she's raising Jesus. And at 12, she takes Jesus to the temple. You know, I mean, the whole family, the whole caravan, all the people there from Nazareth go for the Passover and it's time to go home. And it's, you know, it's he's 12 years old. So he's a little bit, you know, on his own, but he's with his clan. He's with his cousins. He's with his family and the whole. All right. The Nazareth clan is heading back. You know, it's like a three day journey. And so they're heading back or like a week journey. They're on their way back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. And about a day into this, Mary's like, have you seen Jesus? I just assumed he was with the cousins, but I haven't seen him. This is this is Mary's home alone moment, you know. Kevin, yeah. <laughs> Mary's like, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Jesus, our Mary and Joseph rush back. They search for him. They don't find him till the third day, and he's in the temple, engaging in theological conversation with the priests and the scribes and the scholars. And Mary has this moment of, and every parent knows about this, where you're very worried about your child because they haven't shown up when they were supposed to or whatever. And there's this flash of relief. They're all right. That almost in one second turns to anger. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And Mary says, why have you treated us this way? I mean, let's be honest. You know, 12-year-old boys are just not allowed to wander off and be gone for three days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, mom, I should have been more considerate, which is what, you know, you should say you think, 
But this is not just anyone. This is this is the logos in adolescence. <laughs> and he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know? I must be, it, it can be translated either about my father in my father's house or in my father's business. Mm-hmm. And she has to go, I, I, I got to rethink this. Huh? So she had Jesus, lost Jesus, found Jesus, had to rethink Jesus. Then later on, he, he disappears around the age 30. He just leaves Capernaum. He's gone. We know that he goes and he's baptized and he's in the wilderness, but then he doesn't return to Nazareth. He goes to Capernaum and begins preaching. And, and she's kind of freaked out about this. And so she gets the brothers and says, let's go talk to Jesus because I don't know what's going on here. And she comes and he's teaching in Capernaum and there's a crowd. He's in a house. They send word, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are out here. They'd like a word with you. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Those who hear the word of God and do it. That's, again, that's a, that's a, whoa, that's a Jesus. tough response. Mm-hmm. And so, again, for the second time, Mary lost Jesus. Now she's founding, but she has to rethink him. And then the ultimate, you see this coming. You see the preacher in me. You see it coming. The ultimate, she loses him again. For the second time, Mary loses Jesus in Jerusalem for three days and finds him again in resurrection. And this, this is the ultimate rethinking. So it's, it's very easy for us to think, especially early on, you know, when we first encounter Christ, first begin to grow in the Lord, something like that, that spiritual growth and maturity and development, all that is just adding, 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 adding more and more and more and more knowledge. Just we add, we add, we add. And as we get a little further in our journey, this is not the case. Uh, There are things that we have to let go of that we picked up along the way, but they need to be released because we need to do some rethinking. Ultimately, Michael, it's not the learning that's hard. It's the unlearning. Mm -hmm. And so we we have Jesus. And then something, there's maybe a disoriented period of time where I don't, I'm not feeling it like I did. Maybe we're maybe the caravan that we have done our life with as a Christian. I'm not seeing Jesus here, folks. Again, I'm not an advocate for just, you know, bouncing around from yeah. movement, movement, church to church. But these are things that happen. Mm-hmm. And so you can what do you do? You can pretend that Jesus is still there, but that could come crashing down one day. And you say, I'm just done with the whole thing because I can't find Jesus. Or you go search. Yeah. You say, I have to try to find Jesus somewhere. And you search maybe in places you hadn't previously looked. Mm-hmm. You know, this is necessary. Let's see if there's any more of these I, I, I want to I wanna mo- mention. Uh, uh, yeah. What but I th- love. Those, those are some, of, some mm-hmm. of the counsel that really come from a little bit from my own experience and a lot from just being a pastor to people that have mm-hmm. gone on this journey. Yeah. One thing I love, you know, in the Old Testament, you see God always telling the Israelites to remember the miracles that he has done. And there's times in our lives where maybe we're going through a rough stretch. We're in the valley of the shadow of death. It seems like everything around us is is darker. We're not we're not seeing the answer to the prayers, just like Mary and Martha calling out to Jesus for Lazarus. And he tarries for a couple of days and we're not seeing what we think we should see or experiencing what we think we should. 
But we need to remember. We need to remember what he has done in our heart, in our lives, yeah. what he's doing. We need to we need to look for him even in the midst of the chaos and the darkness. What are you doing in this moment? What has he done? There's this there's this charge to remember and to believe. Um, and you know, the scriptures I one thing I love, and I'd love to end with this, which is just a simple, you know, the core of your book is knowing Jesus. The yeah. person of Jesus. You know, the Lord Himself said, This is eternal life to know him and the one who sent him. And this is intimacy with God that transforms us from the inside out. And if we're walking with the Lord and never being challenged, never having questions, then there's something going on here. I'm being challenged all the time. My thought processes are expanding. God's breaking religious boxes. God is speaking into areas that I, I didn't know were actually even there in my heart. He's speaking. He's I'm being you know, transformed by the renewing of my mind. Romans uh, chapter 12, verses yeah. one and two. There's a transformation, a spiritual transformation that takes place as our mind is renewed, as we see Jesus afresh, as we begin to see him, as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth, deflects the lies, destroys the lies, and just brings clarity on who Jesus is in our relationship with him. And that's really what this book's all about, helping people through the journey of going through the questions and the rough patches and not being afraid to explore, uh, afraid of feeling like a heretic, afraid of feeling like an outsider, afraid of losing faith altogether if they have question marks, you know, giving them confidence and, and faith and, and peace to explore um, without fearing losing Jesus altogether. And I think you did a wonderful job historically breaking things down, using other books and resources as well as your life story and tons of scripture. And so um, I think this is an incredible work. Thank you, Michael. It's mm-hmm. I, I, I'm pleased with the book, and I will say this. It is very Jesus-intensive. Jesus is the hero in this book. Jesus is front and center all the way through. Mm-hmm. And you read the book correctly, Michael, and saying mm-hmm. what I really am doing is I'm calling people to found their faith on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ and on nothing else but that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so the name of this book is When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. Is it out right now for people to grab hold of? It's and out, how could it's they? It's been out since November 9th. So okay, great. Yeah, it's just been out a little bit. How do people connect more with your ministry as well and your other resources? I'm easy to find because of my unusual name, Brian Zond. I'm, as far as I know, I'm the only one. So you just Google Brian Zond, Z-A-H-N-D, and you'll find my blog site, Pastor Word of Life Church. I'm active in various platforms on social media. You can find all my books at Amazon or wherever you like to get books. And so I'm, I'm not hard to find. Hmm. Well, I'm grateful I was introduced to your ministry through a friend of mine, Paul Young, and he actually oh, got me. Paul. What a, what a, what he's about the kindest person in the world. <laughs> when it comes to, you know, I I'm telling you right now, he is so full of love. He, yeah, he, is, he is, you're really exactly is. right. When you say one of the kindest people I've ever met and he yeah. introduced me to your ministry and I'm grateful for that. So thank you, Brian, for taking time and for your passion and for your years of dedication to Jesus and the gospel and the resources you're always releasing. Thank you, Michael. Bless you, Brian. Thank you so much. For those of you who are watching or listening right now, thank you so much for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Make sure to review the podcast, subscribe, rate it so we can get this out to more people so they can be blessed and they can be awakened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you guys, and I'll speak to you next time on Awaken Podcast. (laughs) 
Hey guys, Michael Lombardo here. Uh, just quickly, I just want to make a resource available to you. I wrote a book released with Destiny Image Publishers called Immersed in His Glory, a supernatural guide to experiencing and abiding in God's presence. My desire is for you to get to know the Lord in a experiential way, to break every barrier to experience God's presence in your everyday life. I've met people all over the world that are just hungry to know him, but just don't know how to get there, don't know how to experience Jesus in a deeper way. You know, what keeps you from encountering him in a greater way? Do you feel unfit to enter his presence? Do you feel stuck? Maybe you worry that you don't know enough to meet with God. Every human being is hardwired with a need for intimacy with God. When this need isn't met, we search elsewhere and we find ourselves broken and unfulfilled. But connecting with God is of utmost importance. And in this book, I'm just inviting you to experience this vital union with the Holy Spirit that is greater than you have ever imagined. A continuous fellowship with God where a lifestyle of miracles, visions, encounters becomes normal. All right, so in this book, you learn how to be free from self-condemnation, guilt, and shame through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You learn how to um, have guidance from God as you experience His presence every day. You overcome lies that have held you back from experiencing more of God. You get a revelation of your inheritance that was already freely yours, you know, through the lavish gift of grace through Jesus. And so I just want to present this to you immersed in His glory. You can go to Amazon and find it there. You could also go to my website, lifepouredoutintl.com org life poured out intl.org or you can go to destinyimage.com the audiobook is available as well on amazon.com as well as some video teachings at destinyimage.com and so bless you guys grab a copy of immersed in his glory thank you